Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for nice tea and gossip about otaku things, as well as deep dive analysis, which is more commonly what we end up doing, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about ENFJ anime characters. So, ENFJ is a personality type among something called the 16 personalities, or also known as MBTI. I am not here to argue about the validity of MBTI and, you know, how the tests are came about, as well as, you know, the mechanics behind the actual test itself. I'm this isn't my point of the uh, of the episode today, but rather it's just fun sometimes to categorize personalities into different groups in the same way that a lot of people have fun with reading about star signs or even when Spotify rap came out with their own personality thing. A lot of people had fun with that. So it's a fun thing for us to explore in regards to these anime characters. Well, there's 16 of them. So we're going to start off one at a time. And to make things a little bit easier, since I'm the one who has a I would say read about it and discussed it more in lip just for fun per se. I will start off with my own personality type on the uh, chopping block so the others two can sort of ease into it a little more. So ENFJ is my personality type and what each of the letter is, they represent a sort of angle of a personality. So E is representative of extrovert. It's between extroversion and introversion, which I don't think a lot of people are surprised about. That is an angle that, you know, people are used to hearing. As a clarification of what people sometimes will mistake these two to mean is that a lot of people think extrovert just means you love to talk and introvert means you're really shy and you keep to yourself. The reality is more about the fact that extroverts are dependent on being around other people to have their energy up. They immediately lose energy by being alone or not interacting with others versus introverts are more than happy to be talkative and, you know, hang out with other people, but they need their alone time to reach charge and get their energy back up again. So that is the difference between E and I. And in this case, for our first anime personality topic, we are talking about an extrovert. We are also talking about an intuitive person, which means that they are more likely to work based on their instincts slash they're a little more big picture. Um, so that's what the N stands for. Uh, F, which stands for feeling. Uh, I think that one's a little self-explanatory in that regard. And then finally, J, which stands for judging. Funnily enough, I actually don't know why these words represent the active, uh, the pattern, the personality patterns that they do, because judging is more akin to the fact that you tend to work in a schedule. You tend to work in a step. You go one, two, three, four, five. You don't go one, eight, seven, three. See, I can't even do that. <laughs> so um, I can't even keep track of the numbers that way. <laughs> and so um, it's less about being judgmental as it is. You sort of like to follow a particular path in the way you go about things. So that is ENFJ. And we are going to talk about some of the anime characters that are ENFJ, which once again is actually my personality. So I what we did is I created a list of ENFJ anime characters that I absolutely thought were ENFJs. And the other girls got to choose which characters they particularly want to talk about in this week's episode. So 
I'm going to list out the uh, characters really quickly so everyone knows. And then we'll go more into the specifics of the personality once we start talking about the individual characters. So uh, so I mentioned Oikawa from Haikyuu, Haiji from Run With The Wind, Emma from Promised Neverland, Makima from Chainsaw Man, Tanjiro from Demon Slayer, Naya Mifuji from Wotakoi, Honami Ichinose from Classroom of the Elite, Ishiki Senpai from Food Wars, Tamaki from Orin High School Host Club, Juno from Beastars, Minato from Naruto, and Jack Vesalius. I actually can't pronounce his last name, but Jack Vesalius from Pandora Hearts. I try my best to do a combination of protagonist and antagonist. I think it's always a little interesting to have both sides of the spectrum. Admittedly, uh, we will later learn as we go through each of the types that some personality types tend to dominate in either one end or the other. But luckily for ENFJs, I was able to find a pretty good blend of antagonists and protagonists. So with that being said, the first one on this list, and I'm sorry, Agnes, um, the first one on this list that we're going to talk about. I've accepted my fate at this rate, so (laughs) this is fine. Um, This is fine. (laughs) The first one on the list that we're going to talk about is Haiji from Run With The Wind. So out of curiosity, and I'm going to ask you, Agnes, last, because we kind of know your answer is, Isabel, why did you pick (laughs) Haiji as one of the characters you wanted to talk about? Okay, honestly, I had to pick Haiji just because I knew Agnes liked him as a character. Okay, so you're just spiting me at this point. Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I like Haiji too, you know. So, uh, but otherwise, he was definitely a great character to run with him. And I feel like he was the kind of like the heart of the series. So I thought that he would be a great character to idolize on this podcast. To idolize? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And Agnes, we know Haiji is your boy. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, well, okay, why don't we start this off? Why do you like Haiji so much then? Like, why do you fangirl over him? <laughs> I, I think I mentioned this in the uh, the last podcast that we did about, I think, as anime husbands yes, that we'd yes, want to date, boyfriends, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, it was an anime men that we thirst after, because that's a different story. But it's anime men that we would like to have as boyfriends or husbands. And it's because Haiji's just really good about taking care of people. Um, he also cooks quite a bit i like a man that can cook i can cook too but i don't need to cook like 24 7 i'd like the the job to be split evenly and haiji does a really good job about that you know like making sure he takes care of all the people and then funnily enough the thing about enfjs and funnily enough the reason why i'm attracted to a lot of enfj characters is that they have this charisma that kind of pulls you into their loop and makes you do things that you wouldn't typically do within your normal routine. And that's exactly what Haiji does in Run With The Wind, is that he somehow coerces every single person to run with him for the the Hakuden, right? And all these people are like, are you insane? I'm not an athlete. I can't do this. But Haiji somehow has this overwhelming confidence in them and also is very good at quote-unquote manipulating them into joining the sport with him and as a result I don't like to be dictated doing things but at the same time if someone's persuasive enough and gives me good reasons why I should be doing something at one point I just concede and I'm like all right right, you got me okay let's do this (laughs) (laughs) okay so were any of you two so I I know you found this out a while back Agnes so think back a little if you can uh were any of you too surprised when you found out that Haiji shares my personality if I didn't put two and two together that early on then yes I would have been very surprised okay but I think now 
learning more about ENFJ characters and the typical traits that they express, I can more easily connect them together and being like, oh, I see how that works now. Mm-hmm. Got it. And what about you, Isabel? Since I know, uh, so I, I didn't start talking about MBTI to you as early as I did with Agnes. So were you surprised knowing that, Ag- um, sorry, were you surprised knowing that Hygie's personality type is technically the same as mine? <laughs> I can see it. I, I didn't think about it too deeply, I guess, when I was watching the show. But like, if I if I was like, oh, if Haiji was a real person or in my life that I know, then it would definitely be you just because of the way, like how you bring your friends around you into the things that you do. This is exactly how Haiji brings everyone else around him to do the things that he, he has as a goal. And not only that, like, honestly, I'm afraid of what you do sometimes. So like, I don't know if you feel this way, Agnes, like, I'm honestly terrified of the things that Crazy does sometimes because I'm like, I don't know if I can do that or like I think she has way too many you know ambitions or things like that and sounds about right I can't argue with it like I always try to find something like I want to prove Gracie wrong things are you scared about me doing (laughs) I'm very scared of you sometimes it's it's just too I am also extraordinarily intimidated by you but at that point I just kind of get swept away by the wave and I'm like I guess we're just stuck in this now I promise. <laughs> it's not so much that you're scary. You're the least scary person that I've met, but it's because you're so, how do I say it? You're so determined to like the mm-hmm. nth degree that that scares the rest of us. <laughs> okay, that that's guilty as charged. I can't deny that. So, so yes, uh, one thing, so uh, a little tidbit that overall is I have a quirk where I tend to dislike my own characters as in that share my personalities and for the longest time I couldn't figure out why in fact in this list of 12 characters I just told you guys I only was okay with three of them almost all the other characters I had this instant dislike for and so um and for I couldn't explain it a lot of people a lot of my friends originally suspected that it was simply because of the fact that I maybe didn't really like myself and that's why I didn't like characters that were similar to me but at the same time they would be confused because I am I have always been pretty reassured about who I am as a person that it seemed a little unlikely that I would be secretly self-hating or anything like that and finally recently I've um, it's actually in the last year that I finally figured out the reason for that is a big thing about ENFJs and this has to go a little deeper with cognitive functions that I don't want to really go too much into because Lord knows that's going to end up being a two hour episode in that. Um, but one thing about ENFJs is that they are very particular about reading other people's emotions before deciding how they personally feel. Like a common thing for me as even as a kid and all the way up until now is that I'm really only having fun if all my other friends are having fun. They could be doing something that I don't think is fun at all, but I will feel like I'm having fun because all all of them are. And so for that reason, it's with another, when two ENFJs meet, they tend to clash because both of them are trying to read the other person on how they feel to figure out how they how they would personally like to feel and they just keep bouncing back and forth back and forth back and forth with no actual like anchor as to who's feeling what so they can decide if they're happy if they're good if they're bad and stuff like that and so there's like this 
an instant prickliness between ENFJs that happen in real life. And unfortunately, I have actually experienced with fellow ENFJs. Agnes can talk about that at Anime Expo when I inadvertently met one. And so... um, (laughs) That was funny. I I actually did not know that person was an ENFJ. And I just joked about it privately to Nico. And I said to him, oh, you know, wouldn't it be funny if... Gracie didn't get along with this person because they coincidentally are ENFJs. Like, I had no idea what his personality type was. I didn't give a shit. And then Nico went silent. He's like, you know, I've kind of noticed that person is also not like his usual self. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) this is something. (laughs) This is interesting. Right. So funnily enough, I didn't like Haiji when I first met him. And so I was obviously extremely upset when I realized he is me. Um, But... What the other two girls have talked about have been very accurate. Uh, Haiji, I think probably one of the easiest ways to peg Haiji as an ENFJ is, like you said, his ability to sort of, really it is manipulating, (laughs) um, manipulating the friends around him to join him in his cause and stuff like that. And he will change his method depending on who it is. If it's someone who he can tell that just deep, that actually wants to join but is feeling insecure or or not confident about it, he's just straight up pursuing, as in like, you know, straight up be like, join, 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 which is what he did with the main character because he could tell the main character deep down actually likes to run and it was just like something was stopping him. So he's very, very direct about being like, so will you join? Will you join? And then with other characters, he's a lot more sly and a lot more indirect about it, whether it's with... um whether oh my gosh I cannot remember names it's been a while but whether it's like cooking food to make the other one feel a little guilty so it's a little easier to nudge him to agree or another one where he like takes him around town and it's like everyone likes them and it's like oh you don't want to disappoint them and stuff like that they he's specifically choosing ways that would best fit the counterpart that he is trying to convince and that is how I got all my friends always involved in all my personal projects. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I joked about this, but almost all my closest friends are doing something for anime trending. What two of them are, and I'm not even talking about the girl taco girls here. I'm talking about outside of outside of anime trending itself. I have two co- really close college friends. They're all they're editors now. I have another one helping us out with marketing and Instagram and then another one who's doing translations for us whenever she's available. And so um, and every single one of them initially gave a little pushback and it's always me finding like ways to convince them because gosh darn, I want to convince them and I want them to join me. And so the bigger, the better and the more fun it is. And um, and I really like the sense of teamwork and the togetherness just feels good per se. And that is something that Haiji really, really shows and milks in regards to Run With The Wind. So funnily enough, I didn't like him because I was like, gosh, he's so annoying. Why is he so good at this? And then it's like, I'm, I'm staring at myself in the mirror because that's exactly what I am doing. So that is Haiji. And I am, one thing I'm a little surprised about is I was always surprised at how popular Haiji is in regards to Run With The Wind fandom. Because I was like, is no one else bothered by his slightly more manipulative behavior? And I'm genuinely asking you, Isabel, since you haven't really talked about it before. Like, did that not bother you at all? <laughs> oh, yeah, it definitely bothered me. But like, like you said, like kind of like the way he approaches them and the boys and kind of 
making those personalized requests or just being there because each each person had their own struggles, right? Whether they were trying to like graduate or struggling with something, he would either, you know, if it's physical, he'll make a physical attempt to it, like kind of fixing their regimen or something like that. Um, and then if it's some more emotional, he'll actually like tag along. Like the thing is like Haiji's always there for them and he actually genuinely cares about them. He's not just like acting like, oh, I'm just caring for you just so, you know, we can run in this um, race together. He really wants the person to feel like they want to be there. So he makes the effort to that. Even even if it costs him at his own expense, I feel like like I did feel sad for him like towards the end when he hurt his knee, right? And was like struggling to run and try to find his own purpose. Like, I don't know if you feel that way as well. Like, sometimes you might feel alone in that sense. If, like, because, you know, you're watching out for other people, but I don't know if those other people might be watching out for you. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a touchy subject that you accidentally got to. Um, actually, I did struggle with that a lot back in high school, admittedly. So mm. I don't struggle with that anymore. But in high school, my group projects... I know group projects tend to be the bane of your existence because you get matched up with people that you really don't have control over and they could be people you're not close to and they really well might not pull your weight and stuff like that. And as a kid, I quickly learned, I don't know when, but I quickly learned that the easiest way to do well on a group project it's not making sure everyone pulls their weight. It's actually making sure everyone gets along because if everyone gets along, then they're automatically more willing to help out and contribute because if they don't get along, then they're not going to. And so I basically made it my job since as early as I could remember to be that person to ensure facilitation that everyone in the group project gets along because and my group projects always end up getting scored really well. In fact, they tend to be one of the highest in the scores because I am able to get people to realize that. But I do in high school in particular, when workload was really, really high and bad, I would still do the facilitation. And what would end up happening is I've had group projects where like two of them and the other two. So it's a group of five and there's two guys and two girls and they did not like each other. Oh, my gosh. They were trash talking oh. each other. Um, Yikes. I was the one in the middle and I would be sitting there all night. So one, two of the girls will be complaining to me and I'd be like, I mean, you know how they are. This is what happens, but they've got other responsibilities and you know, it's not all bad and like talk them down. And then a few hours later, the guys are complaining to me and they're just like, you know, I can't believe these girls would say things like that and la la la. And I'm just like, well, you know, they're more perfectionist than you guys. And the, the end point of the game is that they want us to all do well because that way we're all in this together and stuff. And I'd reassure them and I would be up until 4 a.m. to ensure the completion of that project to get turned in and at the end of the day we did really well and the group members they all felt like they did incredible and stuff like that but I was really exhausted because what I was really doing is spending time I wasn't like separately doing my own thing I was sitting up and following the girls and making sure every step of the way they were okay. And then I was staying up and following the guys and making sure every step of the way it was okay. And by the end, I was just out of gas. And there was a part of me where I was like, I don't know if they even realized that this group project did not fall apart at the scenes because I was there juggling between the two of them constantly without any break in between. So I've had moments mm. like that. But 
they've gotten less as I grew older, mainly because especially in college, at least for me, the group projects that um, I worked on were uh, they they were no longer professor picked. You got to pick your people. And when I got to pick my people, I know exactly which group of people to pick to get along with easily where I don't have to really pull that much weight in facilitating. And I just have to make sure that the work gets done and keep up with the schedule. And so I didn't feel that as much anymore. But definitely in high school, it was like an actual thing. Like I this probably would have made me cry if I was a high schooler, (laughs) like this particular topic. (laughs) But yeah, I'm actually I that that's a good catch. And you're correct. That is an EFJ thing. So <laughs> alrighty then. So let's go on to our next uh, our next character, which is Emma. So uh, Agnes, why did you pick Emma to be one of the ones to talk about? I think it's just because we talked about it before uh, privately in other MBTI chats that we have with other people that it's really hard to type somebody at a very young age. Mm-hmm especially when they haven't fully experienced what the world has to offer and be in certain social situations where they have to learn to adapt or avoid or however you want to say it. Um, So tagging, I never thought about tagging the characters in Promise Neverland to a specific MBTI because I just thought like, you know, they're kids, you know, they're learning out, they're fleshing out. They probably have a very basic, like basal personality to start with because they're children, right? But because you offered it on our list, I was super surprised. And then it finally clicked in my brain. I'm like, you know, Emma's a really pushy child. <laughs> like she's very pushy in the sense that she keeps like edging people uh, like Ray and Norman to do things, even though the two of all three of them know, like logically, they cannot escape the house with all of the children. But Emma is so adamant about taking care of the children and bring everybody with them that I thought to myself afterwards, oh, I guess she sort of does embody at least the basal personality traits that you would see in an ENFJ. So that's why I ended up picking Emma because I was very surprised up until I like reconsidered it and thought like, oh, this is truly an ENFJ, but in the form of a very small child. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And what about you, Isabel? Why did you pick Emma? Yeah, pretty much for the same reasons as Agnes. You know, she has a very high EQ in terms of caring for the other children mm-hmm. as older, yeah. as older child. And then um, also when she, you know, when we got to kind of the second season where she interacted with the demons, she actually, you know, kind of fell for them. She was empathetic or emphasized with them and how they, you know, live their lives and things like that. So I think, I mean, compared to the other kids, you know, they either they kind of saw them as, you know, the demons, they're going to take away, they're going to, you know, hurt us and things like that. But she was able to see kind of seeing both sides. And then she was also kind of struggling with that, you know, with her mission for the kids and everyone to safety versus hurting other people, even if they weren't actually people and demons. And yeah, just her ability to digest that. And then not only that, communicating with almost everybody, like, I feel like everyone loved Emma, like, if Emma asked for something, they'll be like, okay, you know, I'll follow you and things like that. Whereas, you know, the other kids might not follow Ray as much just because he he's, keeps to himself more and doesn't really interact with the kids, although he likes the kids as well. But yeah, I just feel like Emma definitely was also just a great protagonist in the series overall. Agreed, yeah. So uh, Emma is actually one of the characters that I actually liked. <laughs> so one of the three in that 12 oh. that I actually liked. Uh, you are absolutely correct, uh, Agnes. I would not ever type 
a child per se because their personalities are constantly changing as they're growing and developing so this is a rare circumstance where it's because of the fact that it's fictional and and because of that you can sort of say it more resolutely than what you would in real life absolutely so the reason that uh, and you guys are very correct about Emma in, um, in regards to the way that she is doggedly pursuing what her idea is and absolutely is not having any mercy on letting the guys um, compromise in that regard. She's like, I'm doing this and you guys and I'm going to convince you guys to do this with me sort of thing. But I also kind of cheated because one particular scene of Emma that was just super duper indicative of her ENFJ-ness, which um, once again has to do with the fact that ENFJs are very people oriented. They are always, always particular about the people around them and how they're feeling is one of the stuff that was skipped in the anime adaptation or actually I think the anime adaptation just didn't do very well in regards to the second season but I know it was a very good moment in the chapters because in the manga because I actually read the chapters is that when she confronted Norman after Norman was trying to eradicate all the demons and in particular there was a part where Norman was just like um like, I know, like, I know you think this is bad and it's not right. And she's like, actually, that's that's not what I'm here to talk about. In reality, what I'm actually here to talk about is what's going on with you, because it's one thing if you're doing this simply because you want to. But it's another that you're doing this and you're insisting on it, even though deep down you don't like this, you don't feel like this way. And it's clearly not in line of what you would rather do. So I'd rather talk about that than whether about what is right and what is wrong and what's like, what is a correct answer in regards to our situation? I'm not really interested in that. And that right there is extraordinarily ENFJs because they're... um, Everything in regards to issues and conflicts is very much about the people and how they feel and how they're thinking in that moment. So and for context is in that anime, in that I mean, in the story, in that particular moment, Norman was um, dying and he didn't have it in him to tell Emma and Ray that something was going on with him physically. And that's also why he was rushing the whole demon extermination the campaign that he had in mind because he wanted to do this before he dies and make sure that the world is safe for humans and so what emma was catching on is more about the fact that he feels so pushed to do this that she's like something's going on with him and she kind of just pushes aside in that moment the ethic the ethicalness of whether killing demons to protect yourself is the right answer or something to even consider. She's just like, something is going on with him and I need to figure that out before I figure anything else out. And so that moment right there is ENFJ all over. That's something that a specifically an ENFJ will do. And she doesn't catch on because of any obvious observable things. She literally catches on because she could just feel that something was wrong and something was getting rushed by him. And that's it. And that's what she was operating on. Um, and that is very that is something also that I have like shared quite a bit. One funny thing about me that like my mom actually told me about is I can actually always tell when my mom is thinking about something. 
And she will literally just be eating or doing chores. And I'll just be like, mom, what are you thinking? Because I can just feel it in the air that she's thinking about something. And one day she got frustrated because I would catch her every single time that she's just like, stop it. You've been doing this since you were a kid. Like, I thought you would stop. And I was like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. And she's like, yes, like literally when I am in the car driving and I suddenly start thinking about something and you're in the back of the car, you'll just suddenly go, mommy, what are you thinking? And it would scare her. Jesus. <laughs> it's like you have a sixth sense at that point. It's not sixth sense. It's I genuinely just get a feeling in the air that she's thinking about something. I suspect that as a kid that I could do it with her is because I spent so much time with her and I'm super close to her. So obviously the closer you are to a person, the easier it is to figure these things out. And so, and it's just stuck with me all throughout the years to even now. But, uh, but that's exactly what I was talking about in regards to Emma with the fact that Norman didn't really give any signs to them that something is wrong or that he doesn't feel good about like his own like idea or anything it's just straight up her being like I don't know something's off about him <laughs> and she really needs to figure that out so um so that's the element of Emma in particular that is just so so very ENFJ and I don't know if you remember this moment at all Agnes Isabel I don't even know if you read the manga sorry <laughs> Oh yeah, I did not. I, so I remember it, yeah, because she. It happens much later in the manga, yes. though, when they finally confront Norman, mm -hmm. because Norman isn't supposed to show up in the second season of the right, anime. Right, right. Show up like the third season, yes. if there was ever a third season. <laughs> <laughs> but I read the manga to its completion. I know exactly which scene you're talking about because like they're, they're in the bunker. There, Norman has already basically told them everything that they're going to do, and all the other children or like people who have been slaved in the demon world all agree with him they're ready to go out with a hoorah <laughs> and then you just have norman kind of like low-key sulking or being like really angsty on the side and emma just immediately like zooms in and she's like what's up dude yeah what, what what's going on with yeah you? <laughs> that's exactly it yeah uh like even recently shauna she when she visited we had like a good lunch with our friends and then she got in my car and i was just like is something wrong and i was just I just and she because she's so close to me she did tell me exactly like what was bothering her but but she was just like the fact that there wasn't even like a second difference between where she started feeling it and I immediately being like what's wrong and so, um it's 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 a thing I don't know how to describe it I wish I could describe why but it's it's just a thing that I, that ENFJs are particular about and it is um and once again it does have to do with the fact that everything that they do is just so ridiculously people oriented that they just catch on to these things without any based on instincts without any real observation the reality honestly is more that they are caught catching on to particular details but their brain doesn't recognize that it's these particular details it's just their brain logs these details unconsciously where it forms a pattern and a particular feeling to that pattern and so then they associate based on like that pattern that feeling in the air that immediately that they're like oh something's wrong or oh something's going on so I wonder if it's also related to how ENFJs are also really good about reading like body language mm. and that helps like log everything subconsciously into their brain so that at that point they don't even need to rely on body language anymore to understand like what is going on with the person. Yes, that is true. And a, th a funny thing about ENFJs is that they have noted that like 
Um, ENFJs, as they get older, they get better <laughs> at reading body language to the point where they're not even really reading body language anymore. It's become it's because it's become an unconscious sort of second nature thing that they're doing. So, um, so yes, you are correct in that regard. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, so. I guess my last question to you guys is: Were you surprised with Emma being ENFJ, like in regard in relation to me? I guess when I listed her as a character, or was it not surprising at all? Not surprising anymore. <laughs> Agnes, yeah, not that's surprising. my consensus. <laughs> Sorry, Isabel. What did you say? I missed you. No, yeah, I just added. Yeah, not surprising. <laughs> Pretty much just echoing Agnes. Uh huh. All right, so then let's move on to the fourth character, which is the bane of my existence. But um, it is Makima. I love it. Tell us. <laughs> I, I knew this is why you picked it, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Makima was also picked by these girls to talk about as an ENFJ. She is the first ENFJ antagonist that we are talking about today. Actually, I think she's the only ENFJ antagonist we're talking about today, so... With that being said, uh, Makima from Chainsaw Man is very much an ENFJ. I knew it the second she started talking. (laughs) um, But the bigger thing is, Isabel, why did you pick Makima to be discussed? Yeah, overall, Makima, I just thought while watching Chainsaw Man, I thought she was an interesting antagonist, or I didn't expect her to be an antagonist at first when I was watching the show in the beginning. So I just thought that she would be a good choice for this. I also found her surprising because I don't really relate, but maybe because of her extreme manipulativeness that I didn't relate it to kind of the ENFJ type. So I was more curious about what what we could discuss further with her or what what you thought of her as well. Okay, perfect. And Agnes, did you just pick her to torment me? <laughs> yes, because I did not watch Chainsaw Man. <laughs> So the moment you blurted it out in our other MBTI chat, I'm like, aha, this is ammunition I can use. So I'm sorry, this is my this is me being a little bit sadistic here on this episode. Why are you so pleased to find out that she's an ENFJ though? Even like if it was when it was in the other chat. Because you kept lamenting about the fact that, oh my gosh, I hate Makima. And I'm just sitting here, I'm like, hey, 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 hey. So it, it brings me great joy to see people get embarrassed. And then I also make fun of myself too. So this is, it's all good fun for <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So yeah, I hated Makima the second she showed up. Like the second she spoke to Denji, I was like, get away, Denji. She's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Your stranger danger like senses flared up. <laughs> um, and he, the difficult part really is, funnily enough, I did not read Chainsaw Man's manga is the thing. So I don't know anything about her character and I was absolutely not tipped off on the fact that I I know now because I've because since the anime's come out, you know, Twitter has suggested a lot of tweets to me. So I know she is currently like one of the most hated characters in Chainsaw Man. But uh, before the anime started coming up and Twitter started suggesting me all these things, I I met her and I was just like, God, boy, you need to get away from her. <laughs> like, you need to get away from her right now. And I told my roommate, who has actually uh, wa- read the whole manga, like, she was sitting beside me. I was just like, I don't like her. <laughs> my roommate was just like, she said one line. And I was like, I know, but I don't like her. Um, so anyway, it's, it is with great sorrow that I have to announce that Makima and I shared the same personality. Um 
The easiest way as to why Makima shares the same personality is honestly to do with her manipulative behavior, but there is a subtlety in manipulation that makes ENFJs a little different from all the other types when they manipulate, because every type is capable of manipulation. Like, let's be honest. And some of them are like ITJs and INFJs are also famous for using, for being very manipulative at times. Though INFJs are more famous for being angsty, aka Atachi, which we will get to when we get there. So, um, but in particular, the way that ENFJs manipulate people is they use positive emotions more than they do any of the other ones. So, uh, an easy example, honestly, is uh, Fro- from Frozen, Hot Prince Hans. The way he manipulated Anna, not by and not in ways that made her feel bad or made her feel uh, made her feel inferior, but specifically making her feel loved and making her feel recognized and heard. And so that particular angle of using positive emotions to to get to the person, to get them close to you and to trust you and to lower their guard, that is very specific ENFJ character personality type. And Makima starts using it from the way she talks to Denji, from the way she treats him. Like, And it's like some of her moments are honestly really soft when it comes to him. Like when he had a terrible moment where his first kiss with uh, with another woman ended up being disgusting because she threw up in his mouth and she instead bought a lollipop and gave him a lollipop and was just like well now every time you think of the first indirect kiss you'll think of this taste of the lollipop instead that's a very soft sweet moment that she did with Denji to comfort him and it worked very very well and she knows it worked very very well and that is the type of positive feelings, emotional manipulation that ENFJs are just an expert at doing. And honestly, we can even do a comparison with Haiji. Haiji does the same thing. He does a, he does positive emotion uh, emotional manipulation when it comes to convincing his friends to join him. I'll bet obviously he's a lot less malicious about it and a lot more open um, and a lot more open in regards to his intentions about it. But he is also appealing to their more positive feelings, whether it is cooking for them so they feel good and they feel taken care of, whether it is being emotionally supportive to the otaku because of the fact that he knows the otaku likes to talk him, the otaku likes to talk, talk himself down. It's like these, he always goes for making the other person feel good by being around him and doing the stuff that he likes. So they automatically want to join him in that regard. And Makima does that, but for much more insidious, uh, insidious reasons. And like I said, a lot less direct than Haiji on what her actual goal is, because Haiji makes it very clear, like, this is my goal and this is what I want to do versus Makima, who keeps that goal to herself. And she but then she ends up uh, she still ends up using the positive emotional manipulation. Another note I would say about that Makima in particular shows very well. And honestly, uh, the other characters do as well is that uh, a thing about ENFJs is that they appear very open, as in you feel like you know everything about them and what's going on and stuff, but in reality is they're actually quite private. And not a lot of people catch on to this because they give off this feeling that they're very involved and they talk a lot. And so they feel like you know everything about them when in reality you actually don't really know what's going on in their life and what, what has happened in the past before. 
you know, and that was the whole, like, whether it's Emma, whether it's Hygie, and, like, don't forget Emma, like, in the first season, which was amazing that we all agreed on, um, in the first season when her ultimate plan against Isabel, she even kept it from Ray, you know, like, she gave no signs of it. She just kept it to herself. And um, Hygie, a lot of people, I, I don't even know if they actually figured out what happened to him in the past with his dad. I think only Kazehaya, the main character, found out um, about it. But other than that, every, no one else knows about it because he just kept it to himself. And it wasn't going to be something he shares. But they both come off as in, you know them. You know what's going on in their lives and stuff like that. When in reality, they're actually very private about it. And Makima does the same thing. And this was, uh, and Himeno, Himeno Senpai, uh, Himeno, Himeno Senpai was the one who caught on versus everyone else. She was the one who told Denji, you know, we don't really know anything about Makima at the end of the day. Like, yeah, she joins us and she talks with us and stuff like that, but I don't really know what's going on in her head. I don't know what she likes. Like, she doesn't really reveal these sort of things. And that privacy is very, very ENFJ-like. And so... Funnily enough, Agnes, I think you caught that on about me one time. <laughs> I think you've in a chat once said like, oh, I don't really know what's going on with Gracie because she doesn't actually share about these things. I do you even remember that conversation? <laughs> I think I I vaguely came to that conclusion to myself once, but I thought that I didn't tell anybody, but I guess I did. <laughs> So I actually don't remember that. I I don't know if it was the MBTI chat or if, if or if it was actually the Girl Taku chat where Jack was just like, um, I think it was the MBTI chat. Oh, it has to be. It has to be if Jack if it's something that Jack said, it has to be in the Girl Taku chat. Then. Well, I don't remember who it was that said like, oh, but Gracie tells us everything, and you like, I wasn't even there. You immediately shot back, and you're like, uh, actually, Gracie doesn't tell us anything. I was like, shh, don't give me away. <laughs> Okay, maybe it was the MBTI chat because I have a feeling Medi might have said something. Okay, like that. okay, yeah. I just remember being like, "Oh, Agnes caught on." <laughs> so, Oops. <laughs> um, you're not the first one, though. Uh, my friends that are super duper close from college, like one of them, once like just blatantly told me where I was just like, where she was like, "I don't know what's going on with you," and I was like, "What?" Like I tell you a bunch of stuff. She's like, "No, you don't. <laughs> you actually don't tell us a lot of stuff. You just keep it to yourself." And so. I've never been called out so bluntly that day, but, but that is also a thing in regards to Makima and her ENFJ-ness. Was there another element you wanted to talk about, Isabel, since, uh, you know, since you also watched the anime and you wanted to discuss about her being an antagonist and such like that? Yeah, just kind of like the scene where, like you said, Makima is emotionally manipulative. Uh, I just wanted to add, but also she manipulates Aki in a way, because mm-hmm. Aki seems like he's He's doing his job and everything, but he also kind of idolizes Makima and really wants to get on her good side. And Himeno also sees this, even though Himeno really um, also likes him as well. And she sees this from the outside. And like you said, she states that, you know, we, why do you guys like her so much? You know, she's she doesn't tell us anything. And I feel like she actually kind of, for the ENFJ traits, I think she presents them as very strong. Uh, kind of like the extreme, if you have it. Mm-hmm. And so... Especially when, you know, Aki, she throws in power and Denji into his apartment when he doesn't really want them. And the reasoning for that is she just says, you know, I, I trust you a lot. Uh, and that's why I want you to take care of them. I think you're the person for this job. Mm-hmm. So him just hearing that, he's just like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, you trust me. That's like something I wanted to hear, I guess, you know, um, that I'm doing my job well and things like that. But whether or not Makima actually means it, 
is questionable. Um, I think I struggle with that too because I read the manga and Makima is a character. I think later on, like her reasons and her feelings towards people, especially you know if you compare that to what we were talking about with Haiji, like he seems to actually care about people and he wants them to feel that way. But I think Makima in her goal, I think I, it's hard to tell if she actually feels feels the way that she says that she thinks about other people, like she actually cares about them or cares about the people working under her. I think it's very questionable and I have a hard time believing that she actually cares about them because of the way that she acts and the way that um, in order to get her goal, she does some like crazy things that I feel like are to the extreme and it's hard for people to obviously relate to that. But, you know, as an antagonist, she has her reasons. So yeah, like you said, I feel like she's she's definitely a, like some people would describe a shady person in the way that she does things. So yeah, just like the way that she is able to, you know, kill people from far away. It's just like, whoa. And she doesn't let anyone see that at all either. Like no one can know about I will this. just make a note mm-hmm. that that is my ideal situation. If I have to have a power is I can do it without mm. having to touch them. <laughs> so because I don't like dirtying my hands directly where you can see it. So that's like a thing. But I do like the point you pointed out about how, you know, with Haiji, it's clear that he cares about people, whether with Makima, you can't really tell and you don't really believe that she does. So one thing that is a balancing act, and I'm just going to say this as an ENFJ, a an abusive ENFJ person is an absolute nightmare. Like it's Unfortunately, I did have a friend who dated an abusive ENFJ. It was genuinely the most horrible thing that like, no, he it wasn't physical, but oh my gosh, the way he was able to emotionally manipulate and abuse. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. And the thing, the balancing act really is that uh, ENFJs are extraordinarily goal-oriented. They are, I think ENTJs are the other ones, but um, they are one of the most goal-oriented types in the entire 16 personality group. So when they want something, they are going to get it and they are not going to let go until they actually got it. And they take step by step and they are very, very patient in regards to getting what they want. And so in Heidi's case, he knows what he wants. He was going to get what he wants, but he found a way to combine that with people that he really cares about and form them into one group. And so that's why for Haiji, it is a very positive situation. And, you know, using myself as an example, uh, shamefully, uh, is that my anime trending and getting all my close friends into it is another situation like this. I have a goal and I really want people that I care and love to join me on this goal. And so and I go about convincing them to do that. Um, Makima in this case is only focused on the goal. She's no longer thinking about the people behind it. And so there isn't that balancing act of grabbing people she loves to be part of the vision that she has. It's just the vision. And she was going to get it no matter what, no matter how many people she hurts. So, um, so that's like, oh, so I like, that's a way to describe like their difference. But do you also see the similarities in that regard as well? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I can see that. If, if she chose someone that she actually cared about, I feel like she would turn out, it would turn out differently, but um, yeah, similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alrighty then, so let's move on to Tanjiro from Demon Slayer. So um, I'm actually very curious as to why you picked him. So uh, Agnes, why did you pick Tanjiro to talk about? 
Because you talked about it last time. When was last time? AX? <laughs> no, at, at the MBTI oh! <laughs> Are you just picking based off of like what we said at the MBTI chat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Isabel, why did you pick Tanjiro? <laughs> I know I have a, I have an indirect like cheat sheet because mm -hmm. of the MBTI test, so that's why I know I have a I have a bit of a bias while saying that. But I also I'm also curious to hear why Isabel chose Tanjiro for the NFJ. I think it's similar. Or, yeah, I I remember Gracie saying once that, oh yeah, Tanjiro is my MBTI type or something. And okay, <laughs> okay, so we all remember this. Yeah, okay, were, but Gracie, weren't you like oh, yeah, I can't believe he's that type that's why like I, d I don't like him or something and now i love him or something I yes you were I, yeah. I think that was at anime expo you were very surprised to hear that i didn't like him at the beginning yeah because <laughs> i thought you know, i was like tanjiro's a perfect character for you like why don't you like him in Demon Slayer? <laughs> he is you what are you talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's because he is me that's why we're talking about Tanjiro is an ENFJ. I, um, he's like so obviously ENFJ that it kind of hurts me sometimes. <laughs> I, once again, can't really tell you why I didn't like him. I just kind of got annoyed with him at the beginning. I was just like, something about his, like, something about his, like, insistence on, oh my gosh, see, I can't even describe it uh, accurately. So when did it start like episode one or did it start like episode four for Tanjiro? Um, I would say Let's episode two is probably when I started to be like, mm, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> two. So what happened in episode two? Was it so that's after like Nezuko turned? Yes, right, it is. For the first yeah. time. And I think it's like, the, I, don't, I don't think it's the first fight that he got into as a new Demon Slayer. But OK, so that's after she got turned after Giyu left them and basically uh saved her and th and that's when Tanjiro started making the box right i think that's yeah yeah exactly two. you're you're right okay okay that's kind of interesting that you say that like, you didn't like him around episode two and i'm like literally Tanjiro is not talking to anybody except his sister <laughs> like how did you glean from the conversation that you didn't it's like just him vibes i just i i couldn't get the vibes <laughs> corrected inside me and i was just kind of like like he was just kind of muggy for me where i was just like something about him something about him i didn't quite like jesus <laughs> something about this kid is wrong <laughs> what was wrong was me i was the wrong <laughs> so um honestly i like i don't i can't really explain why i have struggled with tanjiro <laughs> because unlike haiji and makima where makima's straight up a bad guy and haiji it was like his more manipulative behavior that was just like mm, i know what you're doing here <laughs> like tanjiro wasn't doing any of that and yet i still was just like mm, i don't i don't know what you're doing here <laughs> so i started suspecting that tanjiro was my type actually to do with the fact that he was empathizing with the demons and so um and i mean Having protagonists empathize with demons is, uh, or the antagonist is not an unusual or new thing in regards to shonen stories. That is very, very much like not a new thing. But I think the thing that would get me or the thing that I really understood him on is his ability to not really talk to the demons, but kind of know what is going on and that something has happened in their life. And just kind of be there. Like, he just, he doesn't need to say anything to the demon. He just, like, 
you know, well, like in the first, de- uh, the first like big boss demon that he kills, all he did was held that that demon's hand, and immediately that demon calmed down. Or even with Rui, when he saw the way that Rui was like, you know, disintegrating but climbing towards him, he like puts a hand on Rui's back, and that immediately calms Rui down. And so I have, so. I have grown used to sort of being like my friend's therapist, admittedly, and I know that's not something that is like unusual amongst ENFJs. I have seen it in comment sections where they said like even people who have married or have loved ones who are ENFJs, I distinctly remember one guy who was just like, you know, my wife's in denial about this, but literally she is her friend's therapist and (laughs) everyone comes to her when they have issues and uh, and she always like is able to figure out that something's going on or something is wrong or something wrong had happened before in the past that is starting to affect them again and and it was just a thing and she doesn't believe me that she's her friend's therapist but like I just see her all the time playing therapy for them um and I think that was the part where I was just like Tundra is probably an ENFJ because of the whole people orientation to the point where even they don't have to say anything you're kind of like something going on and something is very wrong and it's sad and it's hard and you just kind of want to even though if they're enemies like they're dying so you you kind of want to just comfort them and make sure they leave in peace because at this point like why bother fighting anymore the fight's done so just just help them move on is the best thing you can do um so that's like the moment that I was like yeah he's probably an ENFJ in that regard um but I can't like I said, I can't really describe why Tanjiro is like kind of bothered me at the beginning. I think it's just the natural like ENFJ versus ENFJ like hissy fit that they throw against each other. So, but are are any of you two, or I guess none of you two are surprised though, right? Because I I feel like in the past, even you, Isabel, you've said that like. You feel like, well, what you've said is that your boyfriend, or I don't know if you're still dating him or not, but your boyfriend reminded you of me, which also reminds you of Tanjiro. <laughs> so um, so I know you've said that before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, but then the problem is I made him take the MBAT test, and he ended up being an ENTJ. But I still don't believe whenever he takes any type of test, because he tends to not take it seriously. <laughs> it's still three of the same letters though. it is very similar though that's why i'm like yeah this type of character just because you know they feel like you you all are very like outgoing including tanjiro as well kind of thing like wants people around you mm-hmm. which is similar to him as well and also just kind of this idea of getting to i guess in terms of your goal orientation yeah like, for example, like Tanjiro is always thinking of, oh, what can I do next? Like, I think that's the thing that was didn't bother me, but more like his monologues that he would always do in the series. Like, oh, I need to do this step next to do this in order to do this. Like, there's always something in order and always trying to get towards something. Oh, that's really, mm-hmm. that's a really good observation. Yeah, you're right. Especially like after he busts open his ribs yeah. and he's just like, oh, I can't breathe. Okay, logically, I should do this next. Like, as, as me as a P, like, in the sparring fight, I'm, like, going head empty. Like, I don't even pause <laughs> to assess my strategy. <laughs> I don't even pause to assess my situation. I'm just, like, balls to the walls, let's go. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Or maybe you do it intuitively, just, like, thinking, or, like, your body moves before you even think. But then I guess for Tanjiro, he's actually making a plan. Yeah, he's, like, formulating <laughs> a plan. 
<laughs> that's a very J thing to do already. You know, everything is like very rich. Like Haiji, for example, is a really good example. Haiji, after he gets everybody to agree to run with him, I think the scariest part was that he set up a schedule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> I can hear Gracie oh. hyperventilating because I know she does this too. <laughs> I, okay, my first time rooming in college with like three girls, the first thing I did is I got them all together. I'm just like, so um, we should set up the cooking schedule. <laughs> we like got a schedule and we shared each other's like classes, so we know when everyone is back home <laughs> and stuff like that. So yes, that is that is me. It is I. <laughs> that is that is so interesting. Like you know, it's really hard to pinpoint that kind of like Janeness in an anime fight because like fights are so spontaneous and they happen so quickly that it's really hard to formulate plans or strategies in the middle of it. But Tanjiro somehow handles it just fine. So I guess that does check him out as an ENFJ. So I will tell you an interesting story about me is that um, I didn't think about it until you pointed out, Agnes, is I actually almost drowned once. And it's not because I don't know how to swim. In fact, I'm actually a very good swimmer. It's one of my friends almost drowned me in her panic. So we were at the wave pool because, um, you know, swimming is a big deal down here. It's very hot. Almost everyone here knows how to swim. And so, uh, and because swimming is sort of like the thing we do for the majority of the year, in all honesty. And so at the wave pool, at the deepest end, the waves were a lot, lot bigger than one of my friends anticipated. And her swimming abilities wasn't as up to par to handle those waves like I was and we were with one other friend who was also very good at swimming so like the me and my other friend was good but then the one who wasn't very good at it she couldn't handle it and so she essentially started to drown and so the first thing that she did is she grabbed onto me and so I didn't realize she grabbed onto me I just suddenly realized that I could not get up in time for air anymore and I was just like and I immediately, instead of panicking, and even now when I think back to it, it's a little weird because I didn't panic. I was first like, okay, what's going on? It's not that I don't know how to swim to the top. I certainly know how to swim to the top. Something else is going on. And then I turned around and I realized she was clutching onto me, like her legs around my waist and her hands on my shoulders, like just death grip will not let me go because she cannot breathe and she's panicking. And so I first tried to, and so I first was like, okay, I've been to swim class. I know how to handle someone in this situation where, you know, they start drowning or, you know, how to hold them up. And one of the first thing to do is don't let them clutch your whole body because that's going to sink you to the ground like a, like a rock. You need to get them to one side because then you can actually still swim up. And so I tried to do that, but understandably, she is panicking. And she every time I try to loosen one side of her, she just immediately, like, grips me back back and so I was still sinking like a rock and I was like okay that's not working either and I re distinctly remember being at the bottom of the giant ass pool because I cannot swim up top because I because my body cannot stand two bodies trying to get up there and so I was like here's the plan the plan is I start jumping backwards because with the wave pool is at a certain point it has to lower the wave has to go down and i'm like and that's when i jump and i jump as hard as i can to grab a gasp of air while also kicking back to get into more shallow waters and that's what i essentially did the whole time i just went little by little i see the wave go down i jump i grab a gasp of air and i start kicking backwards and then it, and then i'm sinking again and then i see the wave go down i jump up and i and i just did that pattern over and over again until i know we were in more shallow area and on top of that i saw a 
girl who was who was wearing like those floaty things, um, like a floaty ring or something like that. And I immediately swam over to her, to the girl, and I like <laughs> profusely apologized. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, my friend is like, she's not doing well. She was drowning. She was losing air. Can I just have her grab onto you and stuff like that? And the girl was, you know, bless her heart, very, very nice. And she was like, yeah, no, for sure. So I let my friend off and I let her grab onto her. And I was just like, oh, okay. I'm in the clear now. <laughs> and, so, um, and I I didn't think about the fact that like, you know, I wasn't really like I was actually planning these things out step by step in a situation where I was running out of air. But now that you pointed it out, I remembered it. So <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Even even as you gave, you know, as you talked to the girl with the floaty, you prioritize your like friend first and not both of you at the same time. It's like, oh, let's get my friend over first and everything. And then let's care about me later. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. Like he has so many steps. I feel like I would just be freaking out and be like, yeah, we're, we're done for. Like I can maybe get my hand out of the water. Get someone <laughs> I, to notice. <laughs> I am dead. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't like thought it through so clearly and just done it step by step. I let my friend get off first because I know she was the one who was more terrified. And also I was in shallow water again, so I knew I was fine because I could swim just mm -hmm. fine. Um, honestly, the funniest thing about this whole situation, which I know it was weird because we did, we almost drowned, but um, the funniest thing about the situation is both of us wrote like personal essays about it and won um, awards for our personal oh. essays about it. Wow. And the way that we wrote it is so different <laughs> from each other because for me, I was just talking about how, you know, like, I had to make sure this and this because I wasn't going to let me and my friend drown at the same time. Like, and, you know, I was going to live no matter what. I was going to get out of the situation. But from her point of view, I was like this. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Like this, like cool, like this cool character. Because even with the way she described the end, because at the end, I was just talking about how relieved I was that I found someone who had the floaty things so I can let her grab onto them. And then I can like, you know, sort of get my own time to sort of like get myself together and calm down. But then in her POV with her essay, what she wrote was like, you know, I let her off and like without even the slightest panic, I just turned towards her and I put a hand on her shoulder and I'm just, and I just like call her by her name. And I'm just like, don't be an idiot. Don't do that anymore. And then I just swim off all cool. <laughs> and I was like, that is not. I mean, we did talk before. We did talk before how the ENFJ is considered like the protagonist character as like the like an archetype that's assigned to it. And I can totally see that in your friend's like perspective, just like seeing this really cool person who just saved your life, and they go away with like this really sarcastic line of like, "Don't be an idiot," but it's like very affectionate. And then you just like turn away, <laughs> like there's nothing, nothing had ever transpired. <laughs> like I would think that's pretty cool too, <laughs> even if it sounds a little bit degrading. Like, <laughs> Honestly, it's so stupid. funny because even my school friends and my classmates, when they read it, they're like, Gracie, you were so cool. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? So, <laughs> like, I was just trying to live, for goodness sakes. Like, I don't know what you're talking about me being cool. So. All right. So we'll get to our last character now, which I was also very surprised about. Um... Yeah, I honestly am super surprised you guys picked this one. But the last character that you guys want to talk about was Minato from Naruto. Why did you guys want to talk about this character? <laughs> Minato singles out the most angsty character in the series and makes her marry. <laughs> That's about it for oh. me. Oh. 
it's kind of like how you or like other ENFJs tend to single out really introverted people or people who like you sense like things going on with them but you know that it's like it's not their fault or you know that they're not a bad person and that's exactly what Minato did with uh with Kurena too because she was clearly like very hurt by the fact that she was the um, she was the carrier of like the nine tails fox and everybody hated or feared her and then Minato's always here like trying to be like in her pov and always like trying to save her and follows her and stuff like that too so kind of like that relentless pursuit of always making sure people are okay reminds me a lot about <laughs> okay i see now what about you isabel why did you pick minato <laughs> I think out of the list, I was just curious about why he was on on the list in general, Mm -hmm. and he was the one I kind of knew from Naruto, but I also kind of don't remember his arc too much other than, I feel like I only remember him kind of like fighting and being like really calm and kind of having the same goal as Naruto in a sense, so um, that's all I can really say about that. I mean, he couldn't have an arc because he was already dead by the start of the story, but yes. Exactly. But not only that, like he had so many connections to Naruto, you know, being Kakashi's teacher and then having his him being connected to Jiraiya and Tsunade as well, just kind of how he fit in that whole picture. Mm -hmm. Um, Just made me more curious about, you know, what you guys thought about him or what you had to say. Like, did you like Minato when you first met him? I did. He was was one of the ENFJs who I did like. So one of the uh, Mm. second of the third, uh, second of the three in the list. I did like him. I think it was, I think it helped because he was more mature. He was a very much an adult ENFJ and he wasn't like Makima where he was antagonistic. So I think that's what made me allow to like him better. Not to mention I was younger as well. So that's another thing. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) first of all, Agnes, I didn't even think about the whole like he immediately went after the angstiest girl (laughs) in the class. Oh, I didn't even I didn't even think about it just until now when you popped the question. I was just like, what do I like about Minato? Why do I see him as an ENFJ? And then it somehow popped in my head and I'm like, oh, I guess that's the reason. Yeah, that's that clicks. <laughs> um, so f- another funny story that I accidentally lines up is that I also purposefully befriended the ostracized kids in class <laughs> as a kid. So <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> that checks out. Um, so yes, uh, Minato, he is a very, very mature ENFJ, as in he's really like, he's really grown into his own already. And he's very self-reassured. So, um, the thing, um, so one of the things of Minato that I find very particular is that he is, he basically helped relations between the Uchiha clan and Konoha. And then things quickly went downhill between those two clans once he was dead. Um, that is... ENFJs are, they hate conflict. And I I do say this genuinely. As a kid, I used to cry because my friends were fighting with each other. None of them were even angry at me. They were perfectly fine with me. But because they were fighting with each other, I was crying because it distressed me so much. So ENFJs really, really despise conflict. They have a hard time with it. And it makes perfect sense that Minato as Hokage, his first order of business is, hey, let's smooth things out between the Uchiha because he could feel it simmering. He's like, that's the first thing I need to get rid of before anything else. I don't want anything to simmer between us and the clan. So um, so that's like so that is a very sort of ENFJ uh, 
thing to do. The other thing that really shows up in regards to Minato, and this actually uh, ties in with Tanjiro, which, you know, thank you for pointing that out, Agnes, is that uh, when Minato was fighting Obito, he was doing the same thing as Tanjiro. He's just like, okay, I can't land a hit on him, but he materializes somehow. So now I've got to figure out these timing. He's just constantly planning for his attack steps rather than going in and being like, I just need to change. I just need to change. He's going step by step, step by step to try to figure things out. And so, so that's another thing, but uh, definitely this is actually funnily enough, a filler arc is it even his ENFJ even shows up with Kakashi because uh, around that time, Kakashi was dealing with some pretty severe depression, like insanely, insanely bad depression. I mean, he's lost his dad, he's lost his friend, and then he's he killed the other girl on his team that was his friend. So he's not mentally or emotionally doing very well. And, and Minato just automatically knows that Kakashi is not the type of person who would accept any sort of help if you directly gave it to him and you directly offered it to him like if he had asked you know if he had just asked Kakashi to live with him or stuff like that he just knew that Kakashi would say no and so he finds ways around it to keep an eye on Kakashi and when he quickly realized that things seemed to be worse after his after his way of keeping an eye on Kakashi he immediately starts brainstorming for other ideas because he just cannot stand the fact that there is someone out there that is hurting beside him he needs to resolve that before anything else and that is definitely very enfj they can't so one of enfj's greatest flaws that a lot of types have talked about is that they're not really good at sort of monitoring themselves and their own um and how they are how they are like burnout wise or anything like that they don't really know how to take a break because anytime someone else around them is having trouble their entire time and effort and like thinking their brain it's all on that person that's all they think about they they cannot stop thinking about it because they just they need that person to be okay before they can even start thinking about themselves obviously it is impossible to resolve every person's situations around you like and part of being a mature enfj is actually learning that there are times you just have to step back and let things ride out because there's nothing you can do and minato is one of those mature ones but for kakashi in particular he feels like there is something he can do and that's all he keeps thinking about is he's just like he's not doing well okay then let's do this instead that's still not helping him okay let's do this instead and he just does not stop until he finally finds something that seems like is helping Kakashi so um so that's another big like thing in regards to Minato I think the trick of Minato uh for you Isabel is that he is post human uh how do you pronounce that posthumous uh he he's dead posthumous posthumous mm-hmm. yeah so his perception is other people's perception of him it isn't really him personal and we actually start seeing more like of his like silly side when he got reanimated. For example, he gives like really ridiculous names to his jutsu- jutsus. Like they're super duper on the nose and they're very dumb. And everyone's just like, I don't, I don't understand why you name your jutsus that way. But that's like a quirk of his. That's very dumb and silly. But we don't see that dumb and silly part of him. We um we just see the characters remembering him, which is like this cool, like suave character who knows what he's doing. And so um and so I think that's where the disconnect is coming from. Oh, I but see. also Gracie comes up with very on the nose names for her characters and her stuff. I, I was as hoping well. you wouldn't mention that. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. Um, I do make very on the nose names. <laughs> I can't help it either. It's just fun, okay? I have no creativity in this regard. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> it's funny that you say you have no creativity, but you have, the, I feel like you have the most, cre- between like you and Isabel, you guys have like the highest creativity in our group. And here you are, you're like, I have no creativity. And then you just name your characters like with very basic names. <laughs> I like, okay, a funny story is I, uh, so my friend um, always knows, like, she's like, your names are so basic. And I had a dream once where we were like, in, like literally, literally living in the Pokemon world. And I name all my Pokemons. And so I was just like, oh, and I called my Gyarados. And I was like, oh, go low. And um, it was, so it's a Chinese word. And my friend just goes, what does that mean? And I was just so ashamed. And I was like, it means dragon. <laughs> so she's like. Oh, my. <laughs> Gracie. Gracie. And she was like, you named oh your Gyarados dragon. <laughs> so, and I was just like, in Chinese, you know. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, uh, so with Minato, there's, I, I feel like that was the reason why there's a disconnect is because he seems so cool and like suave since it's people remembering him. But then when you actually see him, he's actually really silly and funny. And we do see it a little more when Kushina was talking about how she and Minato got together with like Minato when she like glared at Minato was like what are you looking at he got like all red faced and he immediately like hit his head and stuff like that so like that's like the that's the more quirky like silly parts of ENFJs that we don't we didn't really see with Minato because we were remembering him instead of actually seeing what's going on with him so yeah did you um I guess did that like answer your questions Isabel in regards to him yeah, I think that makes more sense. Kind of people seeing him as, you know, the previous Hokage, like he always came off as like not arrogant, just kind of like really cool, like you said. So that's the only way that people remember him until, like you said, he got reanimated. So we got to see some of those silly things that, you know, eventually, you know, we see in Naruto as well, naming his jutsus and doing silly things that he does. So it's pretty cute. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> Alrighty then, so this is a longer episode, but I hope everyone enjoyed us talking about these characters and how they all tie into the ENFJ personality type. And um, we will be continuing this particular series. Agnes is on the chopping block next. I am so afraid. But we will have some other topics in between. Don't worry. It's not going to be 16 straight episodes immediately of MBTI stuff. But yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this. And I hope you'll be here with us next time. Happy New Year, everyone. And I hope we have a great 2023. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.